welcome back to Getaway Day. My name is Mason, his name is Matthew, and we are here to talk some baseball. Uh, so we got a pretty uh, jam-packed episode for you today. Um, we're going to be talking some Albert Pujols, we're going to be talking some Julio Rodriguez, we're going to be talking the White Sox, and then the minor league baseball potentially unionizing. But before we get into that, if you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube. Uh, to make sure you don't miss any future episodes on YouTube, you will have to hit that little notification bell. Um, let us know your thoughts through YouTube comments, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or uh, reaching out to us on Twitter or Facebook at Getaway Day Pod. We do also have a TikTok where I post quite a few baseball card videos that is also at Getaway Day Pod. So make sure to check those out. And uh, Please help us out uh, by sharing uh, our podcast if you enjoy it with your friends. We are trying to grow, and uh, every share helps so much you would not even believe it. Um, here in the last week, I think we basically tripled the uh, listens that we had from the week before that. So it, it really does make a difference. So I'd appreciate that. All right. So, Matt, you were obviously not Gotham. How are you doing today? What's been going on since you've been on last? Any baseball games you've been to? What's up? Things are going well. I'm trying to remember when I was actually last on. Same. <laughs> it's been uh, a minute. Yeah. So guaranteed. I think I've been. I think the last time I might have been on was after our baseball trip. Yeah, that sounds about right. So yeah. So uh, since then, been to one major league game and one minor league game. So. Went to a Cleveland Guardians game in uh, around the July 4th weekend. Saw uh, McKenzie shut down the Yankees. And then was at an Indianapolis Indians game just uh, this past week. And uh, watched them blow out the uh, Rochester Red Wings? Redbirds? Uh, Red Wings, I think. Red Wings, yeah. So, did uh, Johan Oviedo... Well, wait. Yeah, that was after the trade deadline. Did uh, you get to see Johan Oviedo or Malcolm Nunez for the Yank for the Yankees for the team? for the Indians? Oh, you know what? I think Oviedo was playing. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head though. Um, Nunez, I don't think so. Nunez but, uh, might actually be a double A right now. I'm not really sure. I'd have to look, but yeah, those were the those were the two that we had sent over for uh, Quintana. Gotcha. Uh, well, I'm pulling it up now. Uh, nope, I lied. Liar. Can't take you anywhere. None of them played. Well, this is incredibly awkward. <laughs> right? But two fun games to go to, and so it was a blast. How about you? Good deal. I haven't talked to you in a bit, so. Yeah, I mean, hey, I'm just sitting here playing MLB The Show while watching games pretty much every night, so same old, same old. But yep. incredibly excited about one very particular player. Uh, I'm sure you could probably guess who that is. Hmm, is that maybe uh, Albert Pujols? It very well might be Albert <laughs> Pujols, yes. So Albert Pujols on, uh, uh, shoot, what was that? Monday night. Um, forgot what day of the week it was. So on Monday night, Albert uh, hit his... Um, 694th home run of his career off of his 450th different pitcher passing Barry Bonds for home runs off of different pitchers. He was tied at 449. He now holds the record. It's a really freaking cool record to have. And Ross Detweiler 
is the guy in the record books is giving up the record home run. So, of course, 14. I'm, I'm kind of surprised he's not hit one off Detweiler before. Because Detweiler's been around for 14 years. Yeah. So. Albert a little longer. Than, yeah, that's surprising. But <laughs> now he's on a tear here recently. He can say all he wants that he doesn't want that. I want 700 to care about if he gets 700, but he's certainly homering like he does. Yeah. Um, 100%. And he's been. Uh, so, Baseball Reference has been doing a. Um, what do you call it? A. Like, like home a run tra- tracker. Albert. Albert, Albert Watch. Tra- it's an odds tracker. Yeah. Okay. The, the Albert Watch. Um, so basically every time he hits a home run, they're updating the odds that he'll get to 700. So I think as of this morning, um, he was at 14% chance to hit 700. So, wow. Well, I mean, after hitting two in, what was this May zero in June one in July, he went out and hit eight in August pending today's outcome. Yep. Uh, and he so, is in the lineup today. So, yeah. So, I mean, he certainly turned it on here, and it'll be awesome to watch this last month here to see if he can do it or not. Yeah. Um, let's see. So, what else has happened this week? Uh, so, Albert kind of want to get into a little bit of a sour note topic here so that we can come back to the good stuff. Uh, Shane McClanahan. Was scheduled to start yesterday. He was warming up in the bullpen. All of a sudden, you see all the coaches and trainers and people around him. And he uh, kind of walked back into the clubhouse in pretty obvious pain. Um, it's pretty pretty terrifying, to be honest with you. Because uh, it's just one of those that we saw Dustin May last year in a game throw out his or blow out his UCL. And that was awful to watch. And seeing this happen in the, the bullpen, you're just... Got kind of those same vibes. Luckily, they did uh, some imaging on his shoulder and came back that it's just a shoulder impingement. Nothing to do with the elbow. This was shoulder the whole time. He's getting a cortisone shot and he will be back. So what do you think that kind of does for Tampa's chances here in the next couple weeks? I mean, it's a huge blow because nobody was pitching as well as he was there. Um, but they're in a pretty, I don't want to say a sound spot, but I mean, they got, they're leading the wild card, um, and everything. So luckily, like you said, it was the best case scenario. He should be back in the bare minimum of time. Um, so hopefully he, they can tread water as much as possible or other guys, Corey Kluber, et cetera, can step up and, uh, lead them as much as possible. Plus, if there's one thing Tampa's known for, it's they just pull guys up that you've never heard of, and suddenly it's like they found lightning in a bottle. Yeah. And I don't even remember, is Shane Boz even back yet? Or is he still hurt? I think he's still hurt. Could be wrong about that, but... I think I he's still... Say, yeah, he's on, the 60 day, he's on the 60-day aisle. He was cleared to resume throwing on Monday. Okay. And, so he hopes he'll return before the end of the season. Gotcha. So he's yeah. he's back to throwing balls, but it's going to be a while before he's back in the majors. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, thinking of that, though, that's pretty crazy what Tampa's doing when you think about that with Boz out. Now, 
McClanahan's out. Uh, Wander's on the IL. Zunino, Glassnow. I mean, Brandon Lowe's on the 10-day IL now. Like, holy crap. Yeah. Well, and I kind of just wanted to mention here real quick, like uh, you were talking about how hardly anybody's pitching as well as Shane is. Shane is probably second in the Cy Young if it were to be voted on today. Uh, he's five innings behind JV. He has a 2.20 ERA, which is uh, second best in the American League. He's got a crap ton of strikeouts, if I remember correctly. Uh, where is the strikeout thing? There it is. 182 strikeouts. Yeah. So and the craziest thing with that too is he's letting up less than six hits per nine innings. He's literally unhittable. Yeah. Yeah, while striking out 11 per nine and walking less than two per nine and giving up less than one homer per nine. Mm -hmm. So the dude has just been unstoppable. Yeah. Until his shoulder decided to impinge. Yep. But so good news out of it, though, at least. And or best news you can hope for, I guess. So, yeah. So we'll see him hopefully in 13 days. Mm -hmm. 14 days is today would be day one. Yep. So, So definitely. And then uh, one other piece of news that just happened today is uh, Baltimore called up Gunder Henderson. Gunther. Gunner Henderson. I don't know where the D came from in there. But, uh, and he was able to, he was, I think I saw he was the 10th Oriole to hit a home run in his major league debut. Um, And he hit the ball and swung so hard that his helmet came off on the pitch. And he ran around the base with his hair flapping. (laughs) <laughs> that's <coughs> that's awesome mm-hmm. yeah so gunner is an incredibly good prospect he's the number two prospect in all of baseball um and he he just made his debut today and he's not alone in call-ups that the the orioles are making here this week so dl hall came over on the taxi squad i think he's probably going to be put on the team tomorrow mm-hmm. um so they're they're trying to get this wild card spot and it's kind of fun to see when I was thinking about this earlier, when's the last time you thought about Baltimore and you were excited? 2014? Mm-hmm. It's been a while. It, it, it's been a hot minute. Mm-hmm. It's awesome to see them finally recovering here. And it's the year of the young guys, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we've been saying that for like five years now, though. Well, when they traded Mancini and Jorge Lopez, it was kind of one of those that it's like, yeah, they've got some good young players. Adley is awesome, uh, and he's continued to play that way. Um, they've got Mountcastle, who's been okay, not phenomenal, but he's been pretty decent. Um, but it didn't really seem like they were going to be able to sustain the success that they've had so far this year, especially after trading those two. And they're yeah. sitting here with, I had the had the standings pulled up. There we go. Uh, they're sitting here with a 67 and 60 record. Mm-hmm. There's seven games above 500 after finishing with almost 110 losses last year. This is absolutely nuts. Af- in the second half, they're 21 and 15. Good Lord. Uh, yeah. And, uh, Mark here in the chat is saying that uh, it's been 2017 since they had a winning record over the course of a single month. And now they've had three months in a row with winning records. So Man. 
do I have to start giving Elias credit as a GM? Because I was saying here two weeks ago that he's not done anything to show that he can actually do this. And granted, some of these draft picks aren't his. So, like, mm-hmm. he's going to have to make some moves, sign guys to more than one year. But the team's coming together. Oh, yeah. If they can stop playing New York, they have a good chance. They're 5-11 and 11 against the Yankees, but they have a winning record against the rest of the AL East. 5-11, and 11, so they've only got two more games against the Yankees. Yeah, good, for, good, because they don't want to play. They shouldn't want to play them anymore. Yeah, yeah. All but. right. So, what do you say we talk about another one of these young guys that has been off to a phenomenal start to his career, and he just got rewarded for it? Yeah. So, Julio Rodriguez, the American League Rookie of the Year, by far. Say what you will for Adley. He, in any other year, would Come take on. that. I literally just had an argument about Stephen Kwan yesterday. <laughs> uh, Stephen Kwan is really good. Don't get me wrong. Him being only 0.7 war behind uh, behind Julio is a little bit deceiving. Because it's a lot of defensive war. Yeah. Defense but, counts. So Defense it, wins not, your games. It's not valued the same. <laughs> but anyway, this, this segment yep. isn't about Stephen Kwan. Julio uh, Rodriguez just signed a massive contract. And to be honest, it confuses the hell out of me. So, Matthew, can you explain this contract, please? Doubtful. But it is the most complicated contract I've ever seen and probably will ever seen. So, he signed a 12-year, $210 million contract with a five-year player option or potentially an eight-year club option and award escalators that could take this whole contract up to 17 years and 417 million. So break this down into pieces here. Right off the bat, he gets 15 million signing bonus and a full no trade clause. So through the 2029 season, he will make $120 million. After the 2028 season, Seattle has the ability to pick up a team option for years 2030 to 2037 at $200 million. That can escalate to 10 years and $350 million if he wins the MVP twice or finishes with four top five finishes, I think, uh, without winning an MVP. Uh, More or less, there's just MVP finishes involved there as award escalators. Okay. If he is not doing well and they decide to turn it down, there is then a mutual option both could pick up from 2030 to 2036 that would sign him for $168 million. So maybe he's not worth uh, $35 million or $20 or what was that? $25 million a year, but maybe he's worth a little bit less at... 17 18 million a year something like that um they could then pick that up for him at a slightly less rate if either one of them declined that mutual option julio then could pick up a five-year 90 million dollar player option from 2030 to 2034 so moral of this contract is he's not leaving seattle until until 2034 at the absolute earliest and that's assuming he does not end up doing panning out or he's injured a bunch 
or something may be that the contract becomes lower. In that case, he would earn 12 years, $210 million. If he continues to play like an absolute stud that he is, he can make up to even more of that, potentially, doing math real quick, $320 million to $470 million. And stay through 2037. Damn. Mm-hmm. That is complicated. Because uh, reading it, it, it's really complicated to try and figure out the... Um, so with the options being after year eight, before year eight. After 2028, whatever that comes out to be. Before the last year of his contract. Well, that's like five years before the end of his contract. Well, remember, the, the options okay, so, occur in... So it's, the contract is guaranteed through 2029. Okay, so basically. it's a, it's a seven-year... It's a seven-year, $120 million contract that has a bunch of options. And more options. or less, the options will either be picked up by Seattle because he's doing so well, or picked up by Julio because he's not doing so well. Okay, gotcha. So uh, I think the best, the best way to compare this to like another contract we've seen is probably the um, Ronald Acuna contract, because that was eight years, $100 million. This is nine years, a hundred or no, sorry. This is seven years, 120 million, but then it has three different options for mm-hmm. options that an option will be picked up. And yep. Mark has a fantastic question here in the chat. Has any mutual option actually been accepted by both sides to this point? No, I don't think so. This is an interesting one though, where it theoretically could be. I mean, this contract is built in such a way that, if he's playing like a stud, it is going to pay him like a stud. He is like this. He's almost became a five hundred million dollar baseball contract player. But if he's not quite playing at MVP level, but let's say he's still top fifteen MVP every year or something like that, top ten, where he's still a great player, you might get him at a slightly lower rate, but still a really good contract in six years, one hundred sixty-eight million dollars. Um, you might both agree that's fair. Or, if he's just an average player, nothing too special, maybe he's been hurt a bunch, he gets some added security, and he can pick up that five years 90. And it's really interesting. Free agent so years in the shortest that, time period. That six-year 168 is... Um, it's 20, $28 million a year, which is not really all that much now. In what eight years time when that actually kicks in potentially, mm. that's that's going to be cheap. So like yeah, it very well could be picked up if he's not a top MVP finisher at that point in his career anymore, or but never gets he, at there. At the same time, he would but, have to agree to that one too. Yes, he would. Mm-hmm. But he might. But I was going to say, depending on where he's at, like if they decline the. I don't know. I, it feels like this is a situation where at least as they're writing the contract today, they don't want to have King Griffey Jr. going to the Reds situation. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's they want the, him there. Oh, yeah, that was the first thing I thought of with this was Griffey and he, like they're making a point here. Like he's their guy. They want him here his entire career. 
I mean, he's in his first season. He is locked up there for literally potentially his entire career now. Um, if this yeah. all pans out in 17 years, is the whole contract. I mean, you just don't see that anymore. Um, to me, yeah. the craziest thing about this deal is how fair it feels for both sides. Like, there's escalators in there that could pay Julio what he's worth. Um, and there's ways to protect him in here if he's not that great. But he's arguably I, still going to give Seattle great value. I will say it's giving him what he's worth in today's dollar figures. Mm-hmm. He potentially could have been a five hundred and fifty million dollar guy if he went for his second contract because right. he debuted at what twenty one, mm-hmm. so or twenty. He debuted at twenty. Was it twenty? Okay. Uh, I don't yeah. remember. One yeah, of the two. But either way, <laughs> he'd be going into free agency heading into his age twenty eight season. He could get a ten year contract worth a crap ton. Oh, definitely. Kind of sim- I mean- similar to what Bryce and Manny did. Grant, I, they might have been a year younger at the time, but right. still, like, he had the potential to go and blow this out of the water if he would have waited. Now, there is entirely, it is entirely feasible that if he doesn't get the giant team option picked up, he's gone after seven years. Mm-hmm. That's That's very feasible here still. Yeah, I mean, you don't know what's going on there. Maybe those last two years, he's just injured on and off. But before that, he was given great production. Seattle doesn't want to risk the injury history, so they decline it and everything. Or And then they, Julio says, no, I'm worth more than this mutual option, declines that, and then goes to free agency. I mean, it's totally feasible. There's definitely ways around it. Odds are, though, he'll be there for yeah. a long time. Yeah, the, the odds are he'll be there for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, question out was how many free agency years does this buy him? You want to do that math? So, shortest time period. We'll go, we'll start with twenty twenty nine. Say he's done after twenty twenty nine in there. So it would buy out three years of free agency. Okay. Because Off this year he's getting a full year of service time this year anyway. But then because of the rookie of the year finish uh, next year. Uh, 24, 25, 26, 20, 2027 would be his free agent or his, his sixth season. So going into 2028 would be his first free agent year, 2029, and then the options. So buying out two years post free agency at the shortest possible time, odds are you'll get five more years minimum on that. So more, most likely it's a seven to eight year. Agency buyout. Yes, up with the potential to get up to nine at free agency years, if the, if he's that good of an MVP finisher. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So Julio's probably rooting to win that MVP twice in the next six years, or uh, finish in the top five of the rookie, of the MVP four times. The craziest part about that, I think, if he wins the MVP once and finishes top five like three times, it does not count. I think but, the, I, I could be wrong there, but I thought the contract was structured as four top five MVP finishes without winning one. Interesting. Yeah. That that would be that would be strange. Right. That's what I thought. I, I feel like, like a, I feel like there's got to be some. I feel like that's got to be 
That's got to count. I would have thought so, too. But who knows? I probably misread it, but just what I thought I heard. So, um, but yeah, that was this giantly complicated Julio Rodriguez contract. And I wish he would have argued for 30 more million dollars so he could have been the first half a billion dollar contract. Juan Soto will get that, though. Oh, yeah. Easily. Right. So skipping down our rundown here a little bit. Um, so other news that came out kind of yesterday. Um, Tony La Russa is currently not managing the Chicago White Sox. Um, he is on indefinite leave uh, for medical leave. Uh, not 100% sure what is going on there, but at 77 years old, he's starting to have some health issues. So he's uh, stepping or I don't know if he's stepping away from the team or if the team is putting him on leave. I, I think it's doctor orders. Yeah, that's what I've heard. So, yeah, so he's potentially not going to be there for a while with there only being a month left of the season, depending on what the issue is. We might not see TLR again this year. Um, Miguel Cairo will be taking over uh, as the interim manager here. Um, but this is a, a White Sox team that has been struggling this year compared to expectations. This is a team that was supposed to be top of the division or pretty freaking close to it. Um, I think on paper at the beginning of the year, they were the team to beat. Um, they had a pretty middling first half where they were maybe 500. I don't even remember. At 46 this point, but... and 46. All right, 46 and 46 heading into the All-Star break. They came out of the All-Star break a swinging at 15 and 10, but then now they've lost uh, 10 of the last 12 games uh, to fall to 17 and 20 since the All-Star break. So this is a team that's really, really been struggling, and Minnesota and Cleveland have not. So I, it, you could make the argument, and I probably would, that Tony has been a pretty big factor in that team not succeeding. He's made a lot of boneheaded calls as a manager. He's intentionally walked, what, three people in a one-two count this year? At, at least two I know of. I think it's three. Is it three? Um, I, I think. It's, it's more than any reasonable person should. One is more than any reasonable person should. Correct. <laughs> but... Yeah, I guess what what's your what's your thoughts on this? Like I I don't want to sit here and celebrate because the reason that he's not with the team right now is not a good reason and not one that we should celebrate at all. But he no. is a guy that for a lot of the season people have been calling for this man to get fired. So I really really hope he's doing okay. Wish him the best health-wise. This might potentially be the best thing for the team itself though. Yeah, like, when I Interesting note on that, too, is like White Sox players didn't even know he wasn't going to manage there. That just kind of shows the dysfunction in this organization right now a little bit. Well, like, that or how all of a sudden it was, too. That's possible, too. But it was obviously known because it was said on Twitter that Livers is stepping away and everything. Which means somebody told me media that Livers was stepping away before they told the team Livers was stepping away. That's fair. And so that's kind of where the problem is. Now, maybe it was just an innocent leak. Who knows? But players probably should have been told that, hey, 
you got a new interim manager temporarily while Larusa deals with this health stuff. But outside of that, I mean, Tony is Jerry's guy, has been, always will be. You kind of wonder, though, if this is their parting point. Um, where they can both kind of get off scot-free a little bit. I mean, there's little reason for him to come back this year. I mean, I know there's a month left and anything can happen. And somehow the White Sox are only six games out of first place, despite their losing streak here. But it feels like it's their Everest a little bit to get back into this playoff picture. Um, even if he was there. And so, like, and now also get healthy. I mean, you should take whatever time you need to do that. Um, yeah. And then it's at the end of the season. Maybe it's a time if they just reevaluate and say, hey, I mean, he's 77 years old. Might be time to step away again. Uh, arguably, it was never time to come back. But yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. It does kind of feel like this is a, a natural point where it, if Jerry, because Jerry said that he's never going to fire Tony La Russa again. He made that mistake once. Well, this is an opportunity for him if he thinks that maybe Tony isn't the right guy anymore. He can kind of get out of it without firing the guy. Just, hey, this is for your health. You're my friend. We don't want you to. We know traveling this much is difficult. We're going to part ways. Um, and it it makes it a little bit easier. But yeah, the, this is a it's a really unfortunate situation for a team that's been struggling. It could give them a fresh start, though. Mm-hmm. And and the players apparently love Tony. So yeah. maybe they'll turn it on and go win this uh, win this division for Tony. They're five games back of first place. They're six and a half back of a wild card. Mm-hmm. It's easier for them to just win the division. So who knows? But. Yeah. I mean, like it's baseball, anything can happen. What was it, 2013? 11 when Boston had that epic collapse to Tampa Bay and lost like 11 game lead in the last two weeks of the season? Uh, it wasn't 13 because they won the World Series in 13. Okay. Was it 2011? 10, 11? It was sometime in that those groupings of years. I don't remember the exact time, but I mean, that was an incredible collapse. And. Well, and then you've seen St. Louis do the opposite. Last year, they ripped off a 17-game winning streak to put them back in the postseason picture. 2011, they went and caught up from like 15 games back in a month and a half. Like We've seen crazier things than the White Sox coming back from five games in a division that's honestly the one of the weaker divisions in the league. Yep. Oh, probably the weakest division. Which brings me to a quick segment that I want to do. Uh, I'm going to put you on the hot seat and you have one minute to discuss the following. Can you please rank the six divisions from best to worst? I will give you five seconds to think and then I will hit go. Do I need to justify the reasoning behind each or just rank them? Uh, Justify them a little bit, but you've only got a minute. So, okay, go. All right, starting out, AL East. I mean, the Yankees are arguably the best team in baseball, even though they've been scuffling a little bit. And the depth in that league, in that division, is better than any other division in baseball. 
Uh, number two is the NL West. Uh, same thing I said for the Dodgers or the Yankees are the Dodgers, except they never scuffle. So it's hard to fault them for that. Padres are pretty decent. Uh, the rest of the division's taking a little bit of a tur- downturn, but Arizona and San Francisco are still there. Uh, NL East is number two between the Mets, Braves, and Phillies. They are all kill- or three, number three. They're killing 15 it. 15 seconds. Oh, God. Uh, AL West is number five, four. Uh, NL Central is number five. And AL Central is number six. All right. So just a recap. You have the American League East is mm-hmm. the best division of baseball, followed by the National League West. Yep. And then for third top half, you went NL East, correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. And then fourth was the AL West. Yes. So it, then basically the centrals suck. And that's yeah. that's kind of where I thought you were going to go with it. But the reason I asked this is because, one, we can both agree that the centrals are the worst. Mm-hmm. But out of the other divisions, like the American League East and the National League West are kind of right there neck and neck. Like the Dodgers are a considerably better team, in my opinion, than the Yankees. Just from a the standpoint that they've not had a rough patch yet this year, and they've not been healthy at all this year. Mm-hmm. Like they've not been fully healthy. We don't know what this team can actually do. And they're going to be the first to 90 wins. They are at 90 wins. Oh, did they win today? Must've cause they're, they're 90 and 38. Oh, hold on. This is, <laughs> this is back on the 29th is what my standings is showing me still. Okay. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> um, that's awkward. But yeah, and and it does get a little bit lackluster after San Diego, and so that's kind of where the American League East gets it. But then I would almost argue that the National League East could be maybe above the NL West because it's three teams deep. So Yeah, I think I, I thought that briefly. That's why I think I said the NL East is number two there initially and then corrected myself when I realized I, they're the third division. Um, the Phillies always surprise me every time I look at the division lead, because while they're supposed to be there from a team perspective, you're not supposed to be there when you fire your manager halfway through the season. Yeah, that's, that's fair. And and this uh, is a team that's been playing better and better throughout the season too. Without their MVP. Yeah. And he's about to come back, mm-hmm. I think this week. So yeah. we'll see how that goes. All right, so thank you for humoring me in that. Um, so what do you say we get to our main topic of the day? Because right. So the main topic, topic we wanted to talk about today is you may have heard that uh, Major League Baseball uh, Players Association has sent out authorization cards to minor league players to join the MLBPA. And this is huge because minor league baseball has kind of historically been underappreciated and abused by Major League Baseball. And so we kind of wanted to take a little bit of time to kind of go back through some of um, just the last eight years, really, of minor league baseball and and kind of talk through kind of why this is coming to be. Because it's one of those that you hear it, and if you don't really know, you're like, well, why are they unionizing? Or why weren't they already unionized? Well, let's find out together. 
So it kind of all starts back in 2014. So three former minor leaguers, Aaron Sin, Michael Liberto, and Oliver Odell, actually filed a lawsuit against Major League Baseball, um, alleging that they had violated both state and federal minimum wage uh, laws. And this was a huge deal uh, because, I mean, minor leaguers are notoriously underpaid. Um, you hear these horror stories about grinding in the minors where you're eating like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich a day. You're sleeping on the hardwood floor of a rented apartment that has no furniture, all that stuff. And so that's kind of where this lawsuit came to be. And they filed it as a class action lawsuit so that people could hop in and make this a much bigger deal. Um, this lawsuit kind of sat idle for about six years, really. Like it didn't really do anything until about 2020, whenever it had reached the Supreme Court to determine if it was even something that could uh, be filed as a class action lawsuit. Because Major League Baseball immediately um, filed papers to try and get it dropped. Six years later, it's finally decided that no, this is a legit lawsuit. We're going to move on. So six years of basically nothing happening, but it had been mentioned that they're skirting the labor uh, wage laws. In 2018, Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, who at the time were two separate entities, uh, actually lobbied together to get the Save America's Pastime Act passed in Congress. And it, they were successful, and that act actually exempted Major League Baseball from minimum wage and overtime laws legally for the first time. So you have four years between this lawsuit being filed saying that they've not been meeting minimum wage and overtime laws and them actually being exempted from it. Already seems like kind of a big problem to me, but I'm not a lawyer, so eh, whatever. Um... And with that Save America's Pastime Act, if you remember that at all, it was kind of marketed as like, this is necessary in order for us to not contract the minor leagues, um, for us to continue growing because we lose so much money, blah, 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 blah. Well, they contracted the minor leagues in 2021 anyway from 160 to 120 teams, kind of making that go out the window. And the former minor league president, Pat O'Connor, uh, who lobbied with uh, Bud Selig at the time for that. Um, I think that was Bud Selig. No, that one was Manfred. The lawsuit had Selig listed. Um, he actually expressed regret for about half of what they got done on the Save America's Pastime Act on the minimum wage portion, because with that, they're kind of screwing over the minor leaguers and the major leagues decided that they were going to to contract the minors anyway, even though they told everybody, including the minor league owners, that they would not if this passed. So there's a lot of regret there from some people. Um, so that's kind of the the ancient history. And now we've had kind of a lot of things come up here in the last two years. And Matt, I don't know if you have any questions or anything you want to add to what I've said already, but I know I'm kind of going on a rant here. No, you're good. Uh, talked about this a little bit before. Like you have that much more of a background into the history than I do here. So it's really good for me to hear this too. All right, cool. So uh, feel free to just 
tag in at any point, but I'm just going to kind of go on my history rant and then we'll get to the new stuff yep. and I'll let you take lead. Okay. Perfect. Um, so now we get to 2022 and we're starting to see more about this lawsuit and some of the arguments from major league baseball, um, major league baseball had actually tried to have the lawsuit dropped, um, or it argued, they argued in front of the judge, um, that players in spring training actually receive a value of $2,200 a week from teams in spring training where they don't get paid to play. Minor leaguers do not get paid in spring training, but according to major league baseball, they get $2,200 a week in value, uh, based on the cost of training for youths and amateurs. And that therefore minor league players don't deserve pay because they're getting all the benefit and the major league clubs get no benefit at all. There's no ticket sales, no revenue or anything. Uh, the judge saw right through that and kind of threw that out the window and let this go to trial. So after those arguments were made and the, the judge basically said, you're full of crap, uh, by the way, based on everything we know right now, the original three people you owe $1.882 million to just those three. Um, so Major League Baseball kind of saw this as a pretty big indication that they were not going to be successful if this went to trial, uh, which was scheduled to happen June 1st of this year. So in May, uh, Major League Baseball and uh, Garrett Brocious, who was the lead attorney and also uh, co-founder of Advocates for Minor, Leagues, uh, minor Leaguers, that one is important. Remember that Garrett Brocious, uh, advocates for minor leaguers. They reached a settlement uh, that was um, made public last month of one hundred and eighty five million dollars. Thirty percent uh, of that is uh, being requested as attorney's fees and five point five million dollars as uh, payment for uh, expenses that's been accrued. But that would leave one hundred and twenty million dollars for what they estimate to be 20,000 players. So that's about $7,000 a player who uh, played in the time period that they've allotted for this lawsuit, which I admittedly don't know how long that is. I think it's like a 15 year span. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so that's kind of where we're at with, with this lawsuit. And that's kind of one of the big first things that is kind of bringing us to why Major League, uh, the Major League Baseball Players Association is reaching out to bring in minor leaguers. It's not the only thing, though, um, because if you know how the Major League Baseball uh, works with the Players Association, they negotiate for basically everything that happens in the sport. So. My, uh, minimum salaries to um, uh, basically how many games are being played. Literally all of that is negotiated in the CBA. And so you would think that minor league players' salaries would be negotiated in that, correct? Wrong. Uh, minor league players are not a part of the union, so the union does not and cannot speak for them. And Major League Baseball can get away with uh, setting the, their own pay scales at whatever they want, uh, kind of colluding between all 30 teams, which is illegal in every other industry, because in 1922, the Supreme Court ruled that Major League Baseball actually received an antitrust exemption, which they repeated or uh, later 
acknowledged was an error and they refused to give that same exemption to any other professional sport. But to fix it, Congress would have to take over and repeal that. So essentially what this antitrust exemption means is that um, anyone who's not in the Players Association can't bring forth an antitrust lawsuit and say they're price fixing or they're salary fixing or whatever. You, you just have no leverage to do that because they're exempt from that. And with the 2018 Save America's Pastime Act, they're exempt from minimum wage laws. They're exempt from overtime laws. So they can literally pay minor leaguers whatever they want. It could be $5. It could be $10, whatever. Um, they have actually raised what they've been pay paying minor leaguers uh, from 2021 to 2022. They actually raised it between 38 and 72%, depending on the level that you play at, um, as your weekly pay or your minimum weekly pay. Uh, unfortunately, that still equates to about $15,000 max for or for the average minor league player. So there's been a lot of bills proposed to strip Major League Baseball of this antitrust exemption, which would then basically allow um, minor leaguers to file lawsuits against the league if they're uh, salary fixing and not negotiating, whatever. Uh, but it opens up a lot of other issues, too, with merchandise licensing, relocation of teams, television blackouts. They're all under that antitrust exemption as well. Um, so where we get to the actual MLBPA coming in here is in 1998, the Curt Flood Act uh, was passed, which allowed players, uh, they, they cut them out of the antitrust exemption, essentially. So... That means that that is the one group that can sue Major League Baseball for antitrust laws or for violation of antitrust laws. To do that, they would have to dissolve the union, file a lawsuit, and then they could re, uh, reform the union afterwards. But that's never happened in baseball. It's happened in other sports. It's not happened here. So with that happening or with that being the case and minor leaguers not having that ability, it's been kind of talked about for the last couple of years that the minor leagues need to unionize. And if they become a part of the MLBPA, they're now part of that cutout, uh, cutout from the exemption. So that's kind of the long backstory in about what, 10 minutes. So I know that was a long rant and a lot of information, but it's necessary to have that information before we go into what Matthew's going to talk about here. Yeah, no, that was awesome information there. Like, huge backstory into why the minor leaguers need this and where their problems really reside. And, and it's just the, the tip of the iceberg, too. Like, there's so many articles. Um, if you have The Athletic, just go search Evan Drellich's name and read his stuff. He's linked all of his different articles. He's linked to articles from other people. Uh, go read about it because I've barely even like scratched the surface here and and there's a lot there and you start to realize, oh, crap, this is a really bad situation for these guys. Yeah. So. Pay I mean, hey and housing are obviously the two biggest ones, but that you hear about, but there's more issues than that. And like you said, the union negotiates everything and them being part of one would finally help minor leaguers a little bit. Yeah, absolutely.
So what do you say you kind of walk us through kind of the actual proposal by MLBPA and what that could mean? Yep. So start off here with uh, what Tony Clark kind of said about this. So poverty wages, oppressive reserve rules, discipline without due process, ever-expanding off-season obligations, appropriation of intellectual property, substandard attention to player health and safety, chronic lack of respect for the minor leaguers as a whole. Those are a few of the cancers in our game that exist because minor league players have never had a seat at the bargaining table, and it's time for that to change. Uh, that hit a few more of the different ways in which minor leaguers have struggled. Um, so minor leaguers have been around for over 100 years, and somehow they've lived these last 100 years without a union. Uh, there are more than 5,000 minor league players in the league right now. Um, the craziest thing about the MLBPA is they actually represent the minor league, the league players at an amateur level. So as they're entering the professional ranks, they are represented by the MLBPA. Once they sign with a team or an organization, they are no longer represented by the MLBPA until they join a 40-man roster in which they are again represented. Um, that's where this big gap really follows. So Mason mentioned advocates for minor leaguers in his uh, spiel there. So they've been really representing and advising the minor leagues, minor leaguers over the last couple of years. Um, and they've helped get this pay raise and everything like that. Um, so they have all uh, joined the MLBPA um, to work for them in su showing support of this proposed unionization. So MLBPA has sent out these... Um, what are they the called? Authorization, the, uh, authorization cards. cards. Thank you. I knew it started with an A. Um, to all the minor league players. The next step with that is they need 30% of those back of active minor leaguers saying, yes, we want to move forward with this. Once they get 30%, they can move forward, and then they turn it into a formal vote. They go out, they finish the campaigning, whatever they need to do. And they need a majority vote to officially approve the union. If more than 30% of those um, authorization cards come back positive, say over 50%, over 60, whatever number you may want, um, the MLB PA can kind of go to the to MLB and negotiate with them and just say, um, voluntarily recognize this union. We already have the support. We don't need to put this to a vote. Don't make this a, even more public and everything. And if MLB agrees to voluntarily recognize it, it bypasses the need for a formal vote. There have been potential issues with that. Um, I don't know if it was Tony Clark or somebody else who said that you estimate in minor leagues there's a 20% turnover rate in um, the yeses you get back. So you better have enough votes to account for that 20 percent um, so turnover the, rate from just players that are no longer in the minors versus new players coming in players that have been promoted up to the majors and are no longer part of the minor leagues um different things they said they generally go with a 20 percent buffer okay so, so really, who would not be able to vote in this basically anymore okay so really they would need a 70 percent yes on responses from the approval cards 
uh, to propose this to MLB. Yes. Um, if for, they don't for get, to propose it to MLB for a voluntarily, voluntary record. Yes. Okay. Right. Because MLB can always just say no, take it to a vote. And then you take it to a vote and guess what? You may not have the 50% you need to pass it. Yeah. That's or 50% plus one vote. Um, cause you need a majority. Um, so that's kind of where they're at. This has been in the works for years, just in discussions, feeling people out and everything like that. And it's really picked up steam in the last handful of months, year, and everything like that. Um, it, unions generally get a bad rap, which is part of the reason minor leaguers may never have wanted to unionize in the past. But the way big businesses are treating employees now have caused unions to actually have huge public support. And so they're actually at an all-time high at 68% of the public supports unions right now, which is a big-time way or reason for minor league players to jump onto this uh, while they can. Yeah. So, good. Uh, so I was just going to say, so, and this kind of sound or seems to the public to be a very all-of-a-sudden thing, because this literally on Sunday night at 11 p.m. Eastern is when this all came out as public. And the reason for that is like, if you're trying to form a union, you try and keep it as, as secretive as you can until you know, uh, know that you have enough support to actually do it just so that people aren't trying to go and influence the people that you're trying to get to join your union. Yep. The so. second this is announced, the employer is going to do whatever they can to try and stop it. And that's influencing minor leaguers to not do this in whatever ways they need to do it. So like you said, until there's, you know, you have plenty of support coming in your way. Um, you keep it quiet. Cause there's Which been two speaks to the potential level of support that there is right now too. Right. Yes, exactly. So, um, again, I don't know if it's Tony Clark or another expert, but they talked about two different use cases, two different cases that happened here. One was where, um, there was a use case where they were just getting quick and overwhelming support. It was just flooding in. No downturn, no pausing and everything. So they took it to the vote very quickly. before, well, Even though they didn't officially have 50% marked down, they, were for keep, they kept going up. So they took it right away and they flew through the vote and they became a union very quickly. There's also other cases where you have over 50% of the vote contingent yes and so you take it to a formal vote and you don't get it um whether that's because employees have been swayed whatever it may be they've turned out so it's a tricky business and trying to get it right but like you said it's generally kept quiet until you know you have plenty of support yeah um so we've talked to, that's a lot of the background there um so where can a union really help Pay has been a big topic of what we've said here. Um, Manfred at the All-Star Game said, I kind of reject the premise of the question that minor leaguers are not paid a living wage. That was a pretty big joke that he said there. I, I think I laughed when I read it. Um, yeah. So, was... give you some numbers here. 
So Mason mentioned the raises players got. So on average, a minor league player in a full season will make between about $5,000 and $15,000 a year. Um, depending on the level you're at, depending on how long you play it, play, etc. Minor league players are seasonal employees. So you're only played during, paid for your time during the season. You're not paid in the offseason. No matter how much work you have to do, you don't get paid for it. So, um, as Mason also said, minor, MLB finally agreed to provide housing for players. So that's somewhat of a bump. But, so you t- I said 5000 to 14000 a year. Let's, if we compare that to some other minor league sports around the, world, around the country, the NBA G League, you get paid about $38,000 a year. The NFL practice squad, you can get up to hundreds of thousands of dollars a year if you're on the practice squad the whole year. And finally, minor league hockey, you can make up to $51,000 a year as a player there. The biggest difference between the MLB and these leagues are roster sizes. Um, MLB is 180, I believe, in your organization. 180 players? Yes, 180. So there's uh, 5,400 total players. Yeah. So take out 40 of those because they're on the 40-man roster and everything like that. Or 25 for the majors. 26, sorry. Um, and you get your total there. NBA is only 12. NFL practice squad, 16. Minor league hockey gets the closest at their 50 in an organization, which leads to about 27 to 30 in the minors. But even though those leagues have so few players, it shows the giant discrepancy in salaries. At a minimum, we're talking three times less if the MLB player makes the absolute, or MILB player makes the absolute maximum in a year at 14,000. And that's very rare. So odds are you're talking about six, seven, eight times. From the bare minimum that the NBA G League makes. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. Another spot that the union can help with is bargaining for your jobs. Uh, I mean, MLB just cut 42 uh, minor league organizations. Because uh, they went from 162 to 120, right? I think so, yes. So that... Cut out, you assume, uh, 25, 30 players per team there. That just lost 120, 130 jobs. That's not right. 1,200 jobs. There you go. Um, so, and Manfred wants basically the unilateral right to raise, or in all honesty, lower the number of minor league teams unilaterally with every year he wants to. So this year he can say, I'm going to take one away from each team. The next year I'm going to take another one away. Or I'm going to take five away this time. Like, and he can do that. He wants to be able to do that on a whim. And even if you just, even if he just says, I want less players in your organization. Let's say you cut your, ro- your roster size down to 170 instead of 180. That's 300 players that are going to be out of a job. Yeah. And that's and, part of the point of a union is to prevent that sudden termination like that. Yeah, and Major League Baseball, I kind of touched on this a little while ago, but they have this nasty uh, habit of 
cutting teams and stuff anyway. Uh, Cause at the time uh, in 20, I think in 2018, when the Save America or Save America's Pastime Act was being lobbied for, minor league baseball and major league baseball were two separate entities. Now, uh, in major league baseball, told them that if we got this, we will not have to contract the minor leagues. Then the major league baseball assumed all of the power of the minor leagues. They essentially bought out the central office of the minor leagues. And then they just decided anyway that we're going to cut it and there's going to be 42 owners that lose their teams like and it's it's kind of a complicated situation because at that point, it's not just players losing their jobs. It's also owners losing their teams or their teams in leagues that are affiliated and actually have marketing and bring in fans. So. Yeah, so Manfred having this power at all is nuts. But being able to go and negotiate, okay, we're going to have this many players. You can do whatever you want with the number of teams that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to have this many players, period. And this is going to be the minimum salary. That's kind of like the bare minimum of what that would allow the minor leagues, uh, minor leaguers to do. Yeah. On Got top it. of making sure that they're housing that major league baseball is providing now, but making sure that that's actually adequate. Mm -hmm. So no, definitely. I mean, this is a good first step and there's a lot of ways in which MLB can be, or the MLB PA can help these minor leaguers. So let me ask you this. What's the downside to them of joining the union? I think the biggest downside of them joining MLBPA is that MLB or the MLBPA for the major league players is going to be negotiating for one thing. They want a bigger piece of the pie. Well, the minor leaguers want a bigger piece of the pie, but the pie is the same size because major league baseball is going to say you're one union. We have this much. We have this much pie. We're going to divide it. You have to share with you. And then we get the rest. Um, And so with it being one union. They're basically going to be negotiating against each other within that budget, essentially. Somewhat, yes. So they did say their plan is to treat them as two completely separate business units negotiating two completely separate contracts. Yes, Um, but... Because it's still going to be one union, Major League Baseball is going to use that right. to say it's one pie. Sure. Yep. So they did bring up a, a good, an interesting point there. With while, well, yes, it will probably lead to some concessions towards, or not some. There will definitely be some losses, maybe to, from the Major League players to the minor league players as they join this union and become more powerful and everything like that. But if the MLB ever thought that the minor leaguers joining the MLB PA would um, cause any disruption or tension or potentially help them in any way because they would argue amongst themselves, MLB would recognize it in a heartbeat. They would be of, they would have joined the union by now. Um, but there's power in numbers, and MLB knows that when the, ML, when the minor leaguers join, they're going to only get more powerful, and they don't want them to. And that's why 
even if it might, there's like you said, there's even if there's a little bit less of a pie there for major leaguers, it's still going to be they're going to have more power against MLB than they did before. Yeah. Well, and I kind of wonder how it would change some of the the other things that we've not really talked about. Because like in the in the major league CBA, like we're talking about the luxury tax and minimum salaries there. And I mean, luxury tax isn't really a thing in the minor leagues, but minimum salaries would be a thing. Um, arbitration doesn't really affect minor leaguers. You might have some changes on minor league contracts uh, that would be negotiated in there and like dual contracts, whatever. Um, maybe number of options or something. I, I don't That's know. That's where I was going to. I was thinking of a, um, what was it? Um, ignore me. Come back to me. Oh, it'll but, pop into my head. But the biggest thing is rule changes because rule changes are not really part of the CBA uh, for the majors, but like they're still in agreement with the union there for the most part. Um, well, major league baseball right now just kind of unilaterally implements rules to test them in the minors. Mm-hmm. Well, if there's a minor league union, are they going to start pushing back on rule changes for experimental rules? So, and if that's the case, then it slows down implementation in the majors because they can't really test it and get data. Maybe they won't refuse, but maybe they can get a benefit from doing so. Maybe when we're testing a new rule, every player gets 100 bucks more a week. Or there's some benefit to them doing it, not just some unilateral, you get to test this out. Interesting. Yeah, it, that was just something that just popped in my head. Mm-hmm. That it's like, this could be, it could cause some changes there. And oh, maybe, maybe what it does is it would essentially increase the partnership of Major League Baseball with some of these other independent leagues, like the Frontier League, the American Association, to test out rules there. Well, Which, they did so, that already, right? Well, they did, but if they, if for some reason they can't implement as many rule changes in minor league baseball and they want to change stuff, then they have to go test it to prove it to the minor leaguers that they can try it so that they can try right. it in the majors. So yeah. it would increase the footprint of basically the... Um, the independent leagues too which is ironic considering a lot of the minor leaguers that minor league teams that MLB cut here are now independents yep so that it would be there could be some really interesting fallout from this and i don't really see too much of it being negative like i i know that unions have kind of a bad rap in some circles some industries but this is this is an industry for sure that like, I don't think anyone has a problem with it. I, there's some people that will do the you're millionaires and you're holding out for more, more millions of dollars. Well, but yeah, that's kind of a pointless argument when you're talking millionaires fighting multi-billionaires, but sure, whatever. Mm-hmm. And most of those players making less than a million dollars anyway. So yeah, but yeah, so I guess that that was a, a really, really shallow dive because oh, yeah. <laughs> like there's so much with this and so much that we don't even know. Like, oh. 
this will we'll learn a act- lot in the next couple months as more and more information comes out as we find out more if how many minor leaguers are interested and everything like that and it'll be interesting yeah, yeah we could spend weeks of podcasts just trying to touch on this and it would still be shallow yeah but i guess what in your opinion is like the what's your overall i guess we've kind of already touched on this like i don't really think there's anything bad to it but like Even if, like you said, the piece of the pie is the biggest hesitancy that I would think they would have, but MLB players of all are the ones that would theoretically suffer from that a little bit. Well, and MLB it, players have already approved this. exactly, so they and know what they're getting themselves yes. into. And so I don't really see a downfall, even if minor leaguers get a little less than they want in some way in some spots. No matter what they get out of this, it's going to be better than what they have right now. It's going to be significantly better. Yes. And, and it kind of negates the Save America's Pastime Act where they don't have to meet minimum wage requirements because you're negotiating the minimum salary. Oh, yeah. You're you gonna... would negotiate to be at least poverty level. Oh, yeah. They're going to see a massive increase in salary here. Yeah. And it's not unsurprising. It's not unsurprising that uh, this occurred after the lockout in the same year as, mm-hmm. because that's maximizing the amount of time that you get this particular set of rules that that the major leagues have to play with. Yep. So you get your deal, set everything in stone for five years. And then you start forming this other union so that they can negotiate their piece. And mm-hmm. which this will probably take a year, maybe even two, just to get this done. Like it's going to take a long time. It, w- it will not be done this year by any means or anything like that. And now thought that just popped in my head here, because we talked about um, employers trying to stop the union. Is, well, they can't think, legally. Right. But do you think Manfred retaliates a little bit like does he cut jobs so i kind of feel like yes but he has to be really careful because that's not part of the antitrust law that's that's something different entirely so because retaliating against uh workers unionizing is incredibly illegal Mm -hmm. all the time oh yeah you could make the argument that some actions that they've made before has been that um, because there's been conversations about trying to unionize the miners for like 20 years and then they go and they cut 42 teams from the miners that could be seen as retaliation granted there wasn't an open and public effort to do this mm-hmm. and I think that's probably where the key is is it wasn't open and public so how do you know that there was actually an effort to to do it? I don't like that man, though. I think he's a snake and I don't trust him. So I'm going to be watching him kind of carefully here the next couple years, probably. Mm-hmm. So definitely. All right. Well, that is an hour and 11 minutes. Wow. 
that good flew. conversation. Yeah. But, so what do you say we wrap it up for today and then we'll have to bring this topic back because I, I still feel like there's so much more that we should talk about. Definitely. But, all right. Cool. So thank you all very much for hanging out with us tonight. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app or YouTube and on YouTube, make sure to hit that little notification bell uh, so that you get uh, notifications every time we post a new episode. Uh, make sure you let us know your thoughts through the YouTube comments, leaving a review on Apple podcasts, the Spotify, reaching out to us on Facebook and Twitter at getaway day pod. You check out some baseball card videos over on the YouTube channel or on our TikTok at getaway day pod and make sure to share uh, any of our content so that we can help reach or so that you can help us reach a bigger audience. Cause we are, we are still growing and we would like to continue growing. We do have shirts now. If anyone is interested, uh, it does have the number 21 and at getaway day pod on the back kind of Jersey style. So uh, if you're interested, make sure to join our Discord server, uh, or I will tweet out the link again, uh, put it on Facebook. So thank you very much. Matthew, do you have any closing fi- uh, final statements? I don't think so. I'm good. Go Guardians. Ew, gross. All right. Well, thank you very much. We will see you back here next week. And Gautam, I believe, will be back. So have a good one.